start this first. Well, the last few weeks we've been looking at the book of Daniel. Perhaps for some it's been uh, new, uh, in depth. Perhaps it's even seemed a little bit deep and difficult. Well, we're going to be a little bit different tonight. We're going to change of subject and uh, we're going to be bridging the Old Testament with the New Testament. Next year, in the will of the Lord, we're going to be uh, reverting back to the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we shall look perhaps back through more familiar chapters as we continue where we left off in March when we came to an abrupt halt. We were looking through Matthew, if you remember, on a Sunday evening. Uh, We got up as far as chapter 9 and then we suddenly had to stop. Well, we'll seek to continue where we left off on a Wednesday evening, but we won't be doing that until March. So we're going to have a break to keep things fresh and different and we're going to have a period the next few weeks during the rest of this year and into January when uh, speakers will take up as before the Lord their own subject so we'll be looking afresh at different things uh, during the next few weeks so starting today the question that I've asked is what did the prophets see now you remember we had that chart up last week of Daniel's 70 weeks And you remember, we're not going to go through all that again today, so don't worry. But you remember we had 69 weeks and then there was a gap, but we put the day of grace. And then there was another week, the 70th week. And we said, you remember last week, we were going to think about that area that says the day of grace. That area that's the day in which we are living. We call it the day of grace because it's the the time of God's grace to this world when the gospel is preached. But the question we're going to ask is, what did the prophets see? When they wrote the Old Testament, we've been thinking the last few weeks what Daniel saw when he was given that prophecy of those 70 weeks. He didn't understand it, did he, you remember? He asked the Lord what it meant, and the Lord said, this is sealed. It's the end time, not for you, not for now. It will become clear and apparent in another day. So that was Daniel's perspective and he saw some of what we're going to touch on tonight. But what we want to think about is what did the prophets, those who wrote wrote the Old Testament, Moses, David, Isaiah, Micah, Zechariah, we can go through all the Old Testament prophets, what did they see and what did they appreciate of what was going to come through the ages? And you're going to see it's very topical as we come up to our Christmas time again. Well, the reason I put this picture up here is because things aren't always what they seem, are they? If you look out on a misty day, all you can see there is the tips of the trees. What you can't see is what's between the trees because the mist is there. When the sun comes out and the mist clears, you can see clearly what's going on. But to a large extent, that's what it was like for the Old Testament prophets. When they looked out, they saw a number of peaks, but they didn't see all the details. You and I, to the prophets, are invisible. They never saw us. You will not find the church in the Old Testament. It was something that was hidden. So there's no pictures, there's no allusion to the church from the time the gospel was preached on the day of Pentecost to the time the Lord Jesus comes again, this period was hidden. So it was like between the trees, between the mountain tops, we're hidden. So what did they see? Well, let's have a look. And you'll be surprised because I've heard some people say, you know, the likes of Abraham, they didn't really know that much about the Lord Jesus. Well, it couldn't have been further from the truth. They understood a great deal more than perhaps what we give them credit for. 
Let's go to the book of Genesis. And we're going to start right at the very beginning. Well, almost the beginning. Chapter 3. Chapter 3 and verse 15. You know this part, of course. This is where man had first disobeyed God. Eve took of the fruit. Adam likewise, willingly, knowingly what he'd done, disobeyed God. And now God is speaking to the serpent, to Satan. And uh, bringing his judgment upon him. And God says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and, sorry, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He shall bruise your head. God was speaking here to Satan in relation to Christ. Christ was going to bruise the head of Satan. He was going to defeat him. And secondly, we learn here, you shall, that is Satan, you shall bruise his heel. Satan would bruise Christ's heel. He would make him suffer. And of course here, God is speaking in the Garden of Eden concerning his son. The one who would come of the seed of the woman. So here, in the very beginning of creation, over 6,000 years ago, when we go right back, when man had first disobeyed God, we read this, that God is going to send a deliverer who was different to Adam. Adam was not going to be able to defeat Satan. He was going to send one who would be able to defeat him, that is, to bruise his head. And the one who was going to come was going to be the seed of the woman. So He was going to be born of a woman. And of course here God was speaking in the Garden of Eden of a time when Mary was going to conceive of the Holy Spirit and give birth to the very Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. And so what we see in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is a suffering deliverer but a victorious saviour because he was going to defeat Satan. And we read that when we come to the New Testament. We read that uh, indeed that the Lord Jesus came to defeat him that had the power of death. That is the devil. So from the very beginning when man first sinned and disobeyed against God. We discovered that that Adam knew and appreciated that God was going to send a deliverer. But he was going to be one who was going to suffer. So this would have been passed on to Adam's uh, sons and generations. And there was a great deal of knowledge concerning God and his ways. And God, of course, was to reveal himself as the Old Testament went on. And he revealed himself by name uh, to the patriarchs in a revealing way. So the second one we come to is in Genesis just chapter 5. And we look at verse 24 and we read this. Genesis chapter 5, we're going to look at a number of different verses. You might like to just quickly look them up. Genesis 5 and verse 24, we read this. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Here was a man who lived just eight generations down from Adam. This is at the very beginning of the human race, as we recall it. And... uh, We discover that Enoch was a godly man. He walked with God and we know that he was not because God took him. He did not see death. The question we're asking tonight is what did the prophets see? Adam 
it was revealed to him that God would send a suffering deliverer of the seed of the woman. To Enoch, he didn't see that. God revealed something different to him. What did Enoch see? Well, we go to the end of the, our Bibles for this and we look in Jude chapter, well, we'll say chapter 1, but if you know your Bibles well, there's only one chapter of Jude. Jude verse 14, and we read this. Now, Enoch the seventh, I said the eighth, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Enoch saw a glorious Lord coming in his glory and power. So what the prophets saw and what we see throughout the Old Testament is a consistent picture. They saw two things. So as they looked out upon the, uh, the, the time of the centuries that lay ahead of them, they saw two peaks. The first one was the first advent of Christ when he would come to be born of a woman, of Mary, and to be laid in a manger at Bethlehem. They foresaw that. They saw the advent of the Lord Jesus. The word advent simply means coming. So when you get your advent calendars and uh, you open each one and get your chocolate, that doesn't say too much about that, I didn't buy uh, Grandma one this year. But uh, when you get your advent calendars, if you've got one, and uh, you open it up, it's counting down to the coming of the Lord Jesus. We remember his birth. So that's what the word advent means, his coming. So his first advent, his first coming to this earth was foreseen in the Garden of Eden. And Adam was revealed, uh, to, revealed to him by God as God spoke to Satan. Enoch saw another advent of the Lord Jesus, a different one. Another coming of the Lord Jesus. And he saw him coming in glory and in great power and with his saints. Enoch now looks, and remember this is in Genesis chapter 5, seven generations down from Adam, at the very beginning of history of man. And Enoch looks right down the centuries, and he doesn't see the first advent, he looks beyond that to see the second one, when the Lord Jesus will come in glory and in great power, an event that is yet to take place. And in between those two events, what they couldn't see in the mist, was the church, the day in which you and I are living today. We were a mystery. We were hidden from uh, Enoch and from Adam and from the other prophets. But this is a consistent picture because Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 1 and verse 10 of this salvation the prophets have inquired and they search carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. So the prophets saw two things. They saw the sufferings of Christ and they saw the glory that would follow. Now let's turn in our Bibles and go to Isaiah chapter 9, shall we? Isaiah chapter 9. And here we get illustrated those two Advents in one verse, in fact, almost in one sentence. So the prophets, they saw the two advents of Christ. They saw his suffering and they saw him coming in glory. Isaiah saw, and he tells us in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, 
and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even for ever more. So we go back to verse 6, what we just read, and we read this, a child is born. That takes us to the first advent. Isaiah saw the time that the Lord Jesus would be born of the seed of the woman that God had spoken to Satan about in Genesis 3. He foresaw that a child was going to be born of Mary and laid in a manger. Remember that Isaiah himself told us again, and we would go back a chapter or two chapters in chapter 7 and verse 14. Isaiah had already said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. So Isaiah had already seen and foretold the first advent of Christ when he was to come as a babe and be born. But look what Isaiah says, for unto us a child is born. Yes, we understand that. That's the first advent. But then he says, unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder. Well, that never happened, did it? When the Lord Jesus was born, the government wasn't upon his shoulder. The Romans were in power. Herod was there with his soldiers. In fact, you remember Herod sent his soldiers to kill the Lord Jesus. So the government wasn't upon his shoulders, was it? So did Isaiah get it wrong? What we need to understand is the way that the Bible is written and the way that the prophets, as inspired by the Spirit of God, wrote. What the prophets saw was the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. So Isaiah looked out and he saw the first peak and he saw the first advent of the Lord Jesus and he saw a child was born. And then he looked beyond that, thousands of years on. Well, we're 2,000 and 20 years now, soon to become 2021 in a few days' time, aren't we? And we're in this period that Isaiah couldn't see. We're, we're hidden, invisible to Isaiah. The church age, this day of grace when the gospel has been preached, perhaps not as easily as we would like to have done in this year, but it has still been preached and made known in so many different ways. Isaiah saw the first advent, a child is born. But he looked then on the next line to the second peak, the second advent of the Lord Jesus. And he said, a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder. The first one tells us of his humanity, that God became flesh and dwelt among us, as John says, and he beheld his glory. Isaiah then, in the next breath almost, in the next sentence, he continues and, and looks beyond all of that and sees the Lord Jesus coming in glory and in great power. When he comes with his saints, that which Enoch saw, when he prophesied in his day that the Lord is coming. And it's interesting, you know, that half the Bible almost is, is in relation to the Lord's first coming. But almost a greater part of the Old Testament is about his second coming. And most of it is still yet to be fulfilled. And we've seen how accurately God has fulfilled the first part. God is pausing in his prophetic timetable for the gospel to be preached. 
And the Lord Jesus will come again in glory and he will reign for a thousand years. He will go to Jerusalem and there in the words of Psalm 2, he will enter into God's holy hill of Zion and he will occupy the throne of David and his kingdom will rule and of his kingdom there will be no end. God had made a promise to David and if we look into Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12, we read this. When your days, that is David, he was speaking to David, are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you and you will come, who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David had wanted to build a house for the Lord, a temple. But God says, you won't do that. You're a man of war. But I will allow your son Solomon to do that. And you remember Solomon built a temple unto the Lord, a house for God. And God says to, uh, to David, of your seed, of your descendants, I will establish the throne in Israel and it will never come to an end. We've just been thinking, haven't we, of the might of Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest monarch and uh, power uh, that the world had ever seen. His world, his word was was ultimate, wasn't he? His tyranny that he could rule. Uh, he was accountable to no one except God, of course. But the might of his power and empire came to an end, as did all the other empires. But God is promising David. He says of your throne, David that David was a man after God's own heart and established a kingdom, a throne in Israel. And David says, from your own body, of your own natural descendant, one will come who will, who will sit upon the throne and his kingdom will come to no end. And of course, God was foretelling and telling David that of his line, the saviour was going to come. The one who would suffer but the one who would return in glory and sit upon the throne of David. And so when Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, he tells us the child is born, that's his first advent, at Bethlehem, the son was given, his deity, when he comes the second time to this earth and his feet stand again upon the Mount of Olives, the government then will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of peace and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end and that's why Isaiah says upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward forever so Isaiah could look beyond his birth onto another coming when he would come in power and glory and come to reign Isaiah has a constant theme of this, doesn't he, as he goes through his uh, prophecy. He tells us of the sufferings of Christ in relation to his first advent. We go to Isaiah 53, we often read that on a Sunday morning, don't we? We've just been considering it with Dave recently, haven't we? The suffering of Christ. And we read there in Isaiah 53 of his sufferings. And if we'd have gone back a chapter in verse chapter 52, we see there that the kings shall shut their mouths at him for what they had not been told they shall see and what they had not heard they shall consider. And uh, Isaiah again almost in the same paragraph but just before. He looks beyond the suffering and he sees the glory when the kings of this world will shut their mouths that they will wonder at that which they hadn't been told 
when they see the one who comes in power and in great glory, the one that they rejected and the one that they had despised. That is a constant theme of the Old Testament. We go through it again and again. The prophets, they saw the sufferings of Christ, as Peter tells us, and they saw the glory that shall come. So now if we go to Luke's Gospel and we go to the New Testament, and as we come to an end, we'll come to Luke chapter 1 and verse 32. How many times have we read this? And uh, these words are read, and yet people give no thought as to the force and the meaning of these words. We rejoice in Luke chapter 1 and verse 31. Here were the words of the angel to Joseph, to Mary. And, she said, and he says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. That's his first advent. The angel is telling Mary that she is about to conceive of the Holy Spirit and the Saviour of whom God has spoken to Satan, who was coming to bruise his head, to defeat him at the cross, was about to be born. But then in the very next verse, the angel continues and says, He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The first verse that we read is often read, isn't it, and quoted in carol services and nativities in schools up and down our land. Perhaps not this year, sadly, unless it's done online with Zoom. They read the first verse, but I wonder how many consider the second. That's so familiar. Yes, he was born, laid in a manger. People are going to be rejoicing, perhaps, at Christmas time, as that might be remembered, perhaps, not by the many, but by the few that might remember the child that was born. But the angel went on to say he will be great and be called the son of the highest. But he wasn't, was he, when he came here? He was despised. At his birth, he was rejected even by his own people. They found no room, no accommodation for them. And ultimately, they said, we will not have this man to reign over us. But the angel said, he will be great. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. His kingdom, Herod wanted to kill him. He had no kingdom. He had no power. It would appear. Did the angel get it wrong? Of course not. Again, the angel was looking at the two advents of the Lord Jesus, revealing to Mary the one that was about to happen in a matter of months. But then in the very next verse, the very next sentence, looking beyond to the second coming of the Lord Jesus, when he will come and his feet will stand again on the Mount of Olives and he will come in power and he will be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord will give unto him the throne of his father David and of his kingdom there will be no end. If only people could get a hold of that. The one that we're remembering this Christmas time is the one who is great and who will one day come in power and in great glory, and every knee shall bow before him. And this, of course, is pictured, isn't it, in the life of Joseph. We go back to Genesis again. And there his brothers, they saw him. He told them that one day they would bow down to him, and they mocked him, and they laughed at him. What an idea. Never going to happen. 
They took his coat and they sold him. What a picture that was of Joseph as there they sold him. And uh, that was the last they ever saw of him. Or so they thought. Israel rejected the Lord Jesus. He was God's beloved son. Just as Joseph was the beloved son of, of Jacob. But they rejected the Lord Jesus. And they said we will not have this man to reign over us. They crucified him. They killed him as far as they were concerned. And thought that was the last they were ever going to see of him. It was only loving hands that loved him, that took his body and placed it in a tomb. It was only those that believed in him that saw him risen again from the dead. But he's coming again. And the angel was looking beyond his birth and looking to the time when the Lord Jesus is going to come in glory. So the prophets and the angel, as they looked down, they saw not the mist, but they saw the comings of the Lord Jesus. They saw his first advent. They saw his second, his coming to the Mount of Olives. And so in the life of Joseph, it's, for, it's shown as a picture, isn't it? He's been sold into Egypt, the cross, they rejected him. Interesting, isn't it, that even when Joseph was in prison, he was in prison with two prisoners, a butler and a banker. One lost his life, one regained and kept his life and regained his job. The Lord Jesus was crucified amongst two criminals. One, as far as we know, lost his life. The second was with the Lord in paradise that very day. Today you will be with me, the Lord said, and he went to be with the Lord. Pictured again in the life of Joseph. And we come to the end of the Joseph, of his life. We know, of course, Pharaoh exalted him and uh, gave him a position of glory and power. And his brothers came. And they bowed the knee, not knowing who he was. And they reverenced him and they worshipped him. And Joseph remembered his dreams that God had told him all those years before. And uh, they were affrighted, weren't they, when they realised who he was. Their brother, who they had rejected, now in a position of glory and honour and power. Well, that's going to be the story of our Lord Jesus. To Israel they rejected him. But in the coming day they will see him in glory and in great power, and they will bow the knee and acknowledge him, just as the world will. And so Peter talks about that day, and he talks about it because Zechariah had seen that day. You remember when the Lord Jesus ascended to heaven, the angel said, didn't he, that this same Jesus, who is ascending up into heaven, will so come in like manner as you have seen him go. And Zechariah had foretold in Zechariah 14, of the second advent of Christ and says in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. The angels reiterated that fact that the Lord is coming again for his second coming, second advent, and his feet will stand upon the Mount of Olives and this time every eye shall see him. We're looking forward to that time when the Lord comes in the air and we shall be called away to be with him. But you know the apostle reminds us as he spoke to Titus There's also a coming day that we should anticipate, that we should look forward to. This day, just as Joseph was displayed to his brothers, so the Lord Jesus, who this world have rejected, taken his name in vain and have no thought for him, they will see him in glory and they will see him with you and I as his saints. With all those who have believed during the day of grace, we shall be with him. Titus says... The Apostle Paul said to Titus 
In chapter 2 and verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men in the day of grace in which we live, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age. This should have a practical effect upon our lives. We're going to be seen with a risen Christ. It should affect our lives, how we live and how we think and behave now. Because the world who have rejected him will see us associated with him. Paul goes on to say, we are looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. These wonderful verses that we've looked at in relation to our Lord Jesus tonight should indeed motivate us and encourage us to live for him, to live godly in this ungodly world in which we live. But we should be looking, we should be looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Isn't it tremendous how Paul quotes these words? The one who is going to appear is our Saviour, Jesus Christ. But he is God, our great God. Wasn't that what Isaiah says? He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. The one who's coming, who the prophets saw. They saw his suffering. They looked beyond the church age in which you and I are invisible to them. And they saw his second coming, when he shall come in glory and great power. What a day that will be. When no longer will there be a mist. But all will be clear. And the world will see the Lord in his glory when he comes again. What a tremendous day that will be. What an encouragement to us as we look out to the future. And we think that perhaps the day is uh, unsettled uh, this year. And so it has been. But as we have seen already, as we've looked in the, look, in the book of Daniel and we look to the Lord Jesus we discover don't we from the word of God that God is in control he has a purpose we're coming up to Christmas and we're looking forward to that to spend it small as we are not as we would like to do but we're going to be thinking about the birth of the Lord Jesus but then looking beyond that he's coming again he's come once and we're looking forward and we're rejoicing to the time when he'll come again yes it'll be wonderful when he comes to the air and we're caught up to be with him but what a day that will be when this world's government will come to an end, the time of the Gentiles will end and the Lord Jesus will establish his kingdom and no one will ever take it from him. God will fulfil his promise to David and he will be great and he will occupy the throne of David forever. Might the Lord just bless his word as we consider these familiar and yet precious things. Well, we'll just have...